Hey, podcast listeners, welcome to this episode. In this session, we're going to cover a new, novel, potential therapy for eternogestrel implant-associated irregular bleeding. This novel therapy includes ulipristol, which you better know as the emergency birth control option, Ella. Is ulipristol effective for nexplanon-associated bleeding? And doesn't that risk pregnancy? Well, let's take a look at the data now. Nexplanon consists of a single radioopaque rod-shaped implant containing 68 milligrams eternogestrol. It's preloaded in a needle for a disposable application. A single 4 centimeter long Nexplanon implant is inserted subdermally just under the skin at the inner side of the non-dominant upper arm. The insertion site is overlying the triceps muscle about 8 to 10 centimeters from the medial epicondyle of the humerus and about 3 to 5 centimeters posterior or inferior to the sulcus or the groove between the biceps and the triceps muscle. This location is intended to avoid the large blood vessels and the nerves lying within and surrounding that sulcus. Nexplanon is a long-acting, up to three years, reversible hormonal contraceptive method, also part of the Lark family. Remember, that's long-acting, reversible contraception. The implant must be removed by the end of the third year and may be replaced by a new implant at the time of removal if continued contraceptive protection is desired. Once inserted, the release rate is 60 to 70 micrograms per day up until the first six weeks, and it decreases to about 35 to 45 micrograms per day at the end of the first year. It drops down to 30 to 40 micrograms per day at the end of the second year, and then to about 25 to 30 micrograms per day at the end of the third year. Remember, it's FDA approved for up to three years use. Eternogestrol is structurally derived from 19-nor testosterone. It is a synthetic, biologically active metabolite of the synthetic progestin desogestrol, which is found in some oral contraceptive pills. Now, the contraceptive effect of Nexplanon is achieved by suppression of ovulation, increased viscosity of the cervical mucus, and alterations in the endometrium. Now remember that time to rely is based on when it's inserted. If it's placed within the first five days after the initiation of a cycle, the contraceptive effect can take place within about 48 hours. But if it occurs after the first week after the cycle begins, then the patient should use another form of contraception for 7 up to 14 days just to be sure. Now, in clinical trials with this device, the eternogestron levels in blood decrease below sensitivity of the assay by one week after removal of the implant. In other words, pregnancies have been observed as early as 7 to 14 days after removal. So, a woman should restart contraception immediately after removal of the implant if continued contraceptive protection is desired. Okay, so remember that the main issue with any progestin-only contraceptive option, and that's not unique to Nexplanon, is this issue of bleeding. But the same holds true for Depo-Provera, the contraceptive implant, which we're talking about now, or the progestin-releasing IUDs. Remember that progestin-only birth control can cause irregular bleeding based on the method anywhere from the first three months up to six months after initiation. Let's cover this bleeding issue next.
The etiology of bleeding secondary to progestin-only contraception, like etronergestrel implant, is actually poorly understood. One leading theory is that sustained exposure to a progestin can lead to endometrial angiogenesis disruption, resulting in the development of a dense venous network that is fragile and prone to bleed. Now, in a recent study, evaluating reasons for discontinuation of a contraceptive method within six months of initiation, unscheduled bleeding was reported in 53% of women using the estrogenogestrel implant. Treatment of unscheduled bleeding may increase implant acceptability and improve continuation rates. In the clinical trial of the etronogestrel implant, reports of changes in bleeding pattern were the most common reason for stopping treatment, which occurred about 11% of the time. Now, before we get into the new Ulipristal data, let's cover some of the more traditional and usual management options for women with heavy bleeding due to the implant. Remember, first, to always rule out pregnancy in any patient who has abnormal bleeding, even if they're on contraception. And if the pregnancy test is positive, remember to get that ultrasound for proper gestational age assignment and to make sure it's intrauterine. If the patient has orthostatic changes or severely anemic from active blood loss, then consideration of course should be given to blood transfusion. Now, regarding outpatient medical therapy in the otherwise stable patient, a couple of medical options are available. Non-hormonal therapy includes the use of NSAIDs since NSAIDs have been published to reduce bleeding in this population. That can include ibuprofen, naproxen, or menophenic acid. As another option that's non-hormonal, transagamic acid or Listida has also been used and has been successful to reduce bleeding in these patients. Remember, as a clinical pearl, not to combine Listida with estrogen therapy or with NSAIDs. Now, as a hormonal option of therapy, remember that oral estrogens, either by themselves or combined in oral contraceptive pills, have been used with varying levels of success to decrease bleeding in these patients. Therapy can be from 5 up to 10 days. Now, here's another clinical pearl. Pharmacological therapies like NSAIDs and estrogen have actually shown mixed results, and they may be contraindicated as a result of some medical comorbidities the patients may have. So that's why authorities and experts and researchers are looking for other options to treat heavy menstrual bleeding in this population. Okay, so here's where it gets interesting. Historically, the use of an antiprogesterone to control bleeding was not given in these patients who used a progesterone-only method of birth control for fear that it would somehow decrease the effectiveness of the contraception. But that's actually not what's shown in some of the literature. Now, before Ulipristol was Mifepristone data. Mifepristone, at a dose of 25 milligrams orally twice daily, with or without supplemental estrogen, was shown to reduce bleeding episodes in women with progesterone-only contraception. However, mifepristone can be difficult to obtain, so ulipristol became a next available option. Ulipristal acetate, remember, is a selective progesterone receptor modulator, and it's marketed for emergency contraception in the U.S. Now, outside the United States, it is available for treatment of abnormal uterine bleeding associated with uterine fibroids. In October of 2018, in the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, Ziegler et al. published a randomized controlled trial on the use of ulipristal for heavy menstrual bleeding in etronergestrol users. 
From May 2017 to January 2018, 65 women were allocated to receive 15 mg uliprostol or placebo daily for seven days. Demographic characteristics were similar between the two groups. Women randomized to uliprostol acetate reported fewer days of bleeding over a 30-day reference period after treatment, and that p-value was significant at 0.002. At the conclusion of the 30-day follow-up period, women in the uliprostol acetate group were more satisfied with their bleeding profile than the placebo group. Now, although not powered to detect a difference for ovulatory status, no participants in either group were noted to have ovulatory progesterone levels. Now, that's a clinical pearl. Despite being an antiprogestin, serum progesterone levels were not ovulatory in either group. The authors did state some limitations to their study. No pilot data was available to determine the ideal dose or duration of uliprostol acetate for bothersome bleeding in implant users. Now, the regimen was chosen based on feasibility. In other words, the currently available dose of uliprostol acetate in the U.S. is 30 milligrams for emergency contraception. So this allowed for easy scoring of the tablet to administer a 15 milligram oral dose. But the minimum dose required is still not yet well understood or studied, once again, nor is the ideal duration of therapy. So, the authors concluded that while this looks promising, further investigation of uliprostol acetate in different dosages and regimens, as well as for longer duration of follow-up periods, is still warranted. Alright, that brings us to the end of our podcast. Look, the college endorses the use of LARCs, long-acting reversible contraception, which includes the eternogestrel implant. Highly effective and user-free, so we prevent user error. However, the associated bleeding can be a deterrent and a block to continued use, especially in the first three to six months. Medications that can help alleviate bleeding and get the patient to an amenorrheic state or at least to less frequent bleeding is paramount to allow for continuation of the medication. NSAIDs, estrogen, Listida, or the use of Uliprystal all show promise to reduce abnormal bleeding in this population. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.